0: Morning Village Church. Listen, question for you this morning. What is your greatest hope and dream for the church, for the people of God? I think it's an especially pertinent question sort of coming out of this season and by God's grace into a new season. Maybe you have the sort of big hope and dream for God's people. And maybe this past season has highlighted it. It's highlighted the reality that that dream actually is a dream that God has given you, a hope that he's given you for his people, for his church. So again, what is your greatest hope and dream for God's church, for the people of God? Jim Collins um, calls this kind of hope or dream a a big, hairy, audacious goal, right, in his book, Good to Great. But this morning, I I want to take a little twist on, on Jim Collins' stuff, and I'm talking about a big holy, audacious goal, Hot, audacious dream, a big holy. It's holy because it's something that's God-given, God-initiated, God-inspired, God-empowering. And it is audacious because it's big. All the things that God does are big like that. And it is a goal It's a dream something that you have in your heart that you want to see happen. These kinds of big, holy, audacious dreams, they generally start with you and I seeing something that's wrong. Something's not right. Something's broken. Something is not the way that God intended it to be. And so God gives us the sort of spirit-inspired conviction that things can and should change. It should be different than that. It should be the way that God always wanted it to be. And then God gives us a desire to to see that change, and he empowers us toward that end. And there are people in our church who exemplify this. Glenn Smith was here at the 830, and Glenn and Judy Smith have a big, holy, audacious dream that no kid in South Africa would ever die of AIDS. And certainly that they'd never die without hearing the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they founded Beacon of Hope Ministries. They said they would never go back to South Africa once they found themselves here. And now they go back all the time because they, they have this conviction that that shouldn't happen, that those things shouldn't be. And so now they, they, they are seeing kids hear about AIDS education and, and awareness, and, and they hear the gospel at the same time. And hundreds and thousands of children and families are now coming to know and love and follow and serve Jesus. Dan McIntosh was also at the 830. He's here at the 10 and and, and if you know, Dan, you know, his big, holy, audacious goal or dream is that all the people in Eastern Europe who were oppressed under communism and tyranny would get to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you know, Dan, you know that that starts in Albania as a home base, and then it, it will spread to the rest of Eastern Europe, and that's why we're going to Albania. And if it just, it bleeds out of him, you know that's what it is. Haley Cooper was at the 830, and she was sitting back over here. And if you know Haley Cooper, you know his, her big, you know, holy, audacious goal is that no, no child or family in Orange County should go without food and the basic necessities that they have. And so she works with giving children hope. Two weeks ago, I was sitting in a meeting with her and their interim CEO just trying to figure out how can I, how can we help to that end? You know, we have a missionary couple in our church that their big, holy, audacious goal or dream is that there would be no place on earth where the gospel of Jesus Christ is not heard. And so they, on purpose, went to the most difficult place on earth to share and bring the gospel because their biggest hope is that, is that people there would hear the gospel and they wanted to be on the front end of that. And part of the point in me sharing all these examples is like our church is filled with these people. By God's grace. But the other point is, is to remind you that, that it doesn't matter who you are this morning. If there is this dream, this hope that God's implanted in you and you, and, and you sense it's from him, it doesn't matter if you're retired like Glenn and Judy Smith. And it doesn't matter if you're like in the throes of life and 30 something starting your own business and raising a family like Diane and Becca. And it doesn't matter, you could be in some kind of vocational ministry like Haley Cooper, or you could be a missionaries in another part of the world. And for you high school and college students this morning, I want you to hear me very clearly because most of us have made the mistake of not actually hearing these things earlier in life. You save yourself a lot of time. You'll get on with your dream and your hope more quickly if you listen to the things this morning that we're going to talk about. What's your greatest hope for the church, the people of God? Maybe there's something sort of in the back of your mind or there's something as you hear that question that's actually pumping inside your heart and you know something about of what it is. But the question is, how will that ever happen? Because if it is a big and holy and if it is an audacious dream or goal, you're like, this is so big. How is this ever going to actually happen? The good news for us this morning is that the Bible is not just a theological book that tells us about the sort of the high and lofty things that God is doing and wants to do. It is that, but it's actually a book that's very practical as well. It tells us how God wants to involve us in those things and what that actually might look like on sort of the street level, so to speak. So this morning, I think right here in Nehemiah chapter 2, we see eight of these things, eight ways we can kind of see our big holy, audacious goal become an actual reality, that it will actually happen. The first one, I think, is in the first part of verse 1, where it says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. When I first read this, I thought maybe the lesson was that the best way to involve other people in your big, holy, audacious goal is to invite them when wine is before them. That was my first sort of thing. And... Um, and, and that could be, that could help. Matter of fact, it helped me. When I was 16 years old, I got a speeding ticket for going 85 miles an hour on my way to work. I worked a long day, a night shift. I was there. I came home late at night, and I needed to tell my parents about this ticket. And lo and behold, I walked in, and they were watching a movie, and guess what? Wine was before them. So I thought it was a great time to tell them about the ticket, and it ended up really good for me. So that, that might be, okay, that's just, that might be some biblical wisdom here. But, but I think the better point is this, <laughs> all right? Your big, holy, audacious goal will happen when it's rooted in prayer. It says in the month of Nisan, which, if we go back to chapter one, when all this started, is four months later. The picture we get here is that Nehemiah has been fasting and praying for four months. Look, Nehemiah didn't just get what we might call a word or vision or conviction from God and just rush out and start to do it, like on impulse. He fasted and he prayed for four months. And when fasting and praying go together, it's because it is the most purposeful kind of praying that you can be doing, most focused kind of praying that you can be doing. And this kind of prayer, listen to me, it helps you to be certain that this is God's dream and not just yours. And this kind of focused prayer, it, it helps you get God's heart for that dream, not just your own. And this kind of focused, devoted prayer, it helps you depend on God for the outcomes of that big dream, not just your own strength. Are you praying about and over your big, holy, audacious goal or dream? Nehemiah wasn't just praying though for those four months. It says, and when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. And I think this tells us something else. It tells us that your big, holy, audacious goal, listen to me, it's not connected from your daily work. It's not disconnected, rather, from your daily work. Nehemiah didn't just have his head in the prayer clouds, so to speak, for four months. He also had his head down in his work, doing good work. He was the chief of staff to the most powerful man in the world. He was a busy man. He was a diligent man. He was doing his work. He had his prayer, his head up to the clouds in prayer. He had his head down in his work. And those things were not disconnected. Oftentimes, God is using our daily work to prepare us for or to lead us into that big, holy, audacious dream or goal he has for us. How might you use your daily work to prepare you or lead you into that? How might God be using that? As we pray and as we work daily, we will eventually come to a time where that big, holy, audacious goal that's inside kind of beating, pumping in your heart right now, where it will come out. It can't help but spill out. Like it will become real to you. You will know, and other people around you will know because you can't help talk about it all, t- all the time. Verse, verse, end of verse 1 and verse 2, it says, Now I had not been sad in the presence of, of the king. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And then I was very much afraid. Your big, holy, audacious goal is not something you can hide forever. You can't, like, just keep it in. You can't just kind of hide in the clouds for four months and pray over it and just kind of keep your head down and be about your business and just not reveal it to anyone else. It's going to well up. It's going to spill out. It's going to leak out of you. The king sees it. He says, there's a sadness of heart because there's something deeper. There's something more. There's something else. And I believe this is one of the ways you will know that that thing is a big and holy audacious goal. That it's from God. It's God initiated because you can't help it. It just keeps leaking out of you because he has worked it into you. But sometimes when your dream begins to leak out of you, something else leaks out of you as well. Did you see it in this verse? Sometimes when your holy, audacious goal begins to leak out of you, that dream begins to leak out of you, there's something else that begins to leak out, and that thing is fear. And you might say, well, if you know this is a big and holy, audacious goal, and that it's from God, why would you be afraid? Why is Nehemiah afraid? Why does he have fear? A couple reasons, I think. First is that sometimes I think we're afraid because... Our lives are so intertwined with other people's lives. Our lives are so inter- interconnected with their sort of big and for, mo- for many people, hairy, audacious goals. They may not be even be holy goals. And our, our, our lives are so intertwined with them. It scares us to think about what life is like outside of that. What changes would I have to make in my life actually to pursue the big and holy, audacious goals that God has implanted in me? What change would I have to make? And we don't, like change most of the time, we get afraid of those things, thinking about what life would be like if it was different. Now, Nehemiah was afraid for, for a very, very practical reason, and that was that you couldn't be sad in front of the king or he would kill you. Okay, So that, that, that adds a little flavor to our story. But what I'm getting at is the underneath, it's the underbelly of that reason. It's what's beneath that. See, the reason that you couldn't be sad in the presence of the king is because if you were sad in the, pre- in the presence of the king, it communicated that you weren't happy with him and his big visions and his big goals and dreams. That if you were in the presence of the king and you were sad, it would be like, yeah, I'm not satisfied with my life just being connected to your big dream of ruling the world. And so if you were sad in the king's presence, he could have you killed because he doesn't want to put up with that. I think more often people are afraid in these kinds of times because it's in these kinds of times they actually realize the scope of their dream. I think the fear mostly comes because we see how big that is. If it is a big and holy and audacious goal or dream, we see how big it is and we become fearful that like I can't do that. I'm going I'm going to fail. And so and so our greatest dreams And our greatest desires, and I think of that because of that, our greatest delight in life most often lay behind our greatest fears. And our fears keep us from those things. I think if you have a big hope or dream for God's people, First Church, you're also going to have big fears, Because the enemy is gonna use that fear to keep you from those dreams. I guarantee you that your greatest dream, your greatest hope, your greatest joy, your greatest fruitfulness, your greatest impact on the world for the sake of Christ, I guarantee you it's on the other side of your greatest fear. It's always that way. The greater the vision, the greater the dream, the greater the fear. Likely the greater the potential on the other side. And I think too many of us this morning are hiding from our dreams that God has given to us. They're his dreams. And we're hiding on the the other side of fear. Are you allowing fear to keep you from realizing that holy dream or goal that you sense God has given you? Nehemiah saturated in prayer and sure that his dream is from God. He presses through that fear and his dream begins to leak out of him. And it begins to leak out in front of the person that can help him with his dream the most. We see it in verse 3 where it says, And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? This is a lesson I think that's particularly timely for us in our place and in our context in this season. And that's that your big, holy, audacious goal must remain personal, not political. Let me be clear. This is a political issue that Nehemiah is addressing. It has political implications. But Nehemiah is not making it political. Matter of fact, some commentators say he's so savvy, he never even mentions the name Jerusalem. He doesn't even use the name of the city. He keeps it personal to him. And I think maybe in this season, there are too many Christians who are making too many things, too political. And we wonder why sometimes the church isn't making more progress and seeing sort of the big, holy, audacious goals and dreams that the church has as the people of God. We're not seeing more progress I think sometimes it's because we're, we're making things too political. We're attaching them to political policies and movements and parties and not to just what God's done in our lives personally. Listen to me. We all have lie relationships with people, personal, intimate relationships with people. And as Christians, we should be living our lives in such a winsome way because the Spirit of God indwells us that... That our friends should like and appreciate us like we do them. And we should be able to share our personal desires and the things that are our hopes and dreams for them. And those things should be connected to God's hopes and desires because we're Christians. And too often we just make, we just attach our hopes and dreams to political parties and politicians and pundits. And we we wonder why we don't make progress. Nehemiah could have answered the king's question something like this. You want to know why I'm sad? You want to know why my disposition is wet? I'll tell you why. Because you listen to political pundits and, and you listen to lobbyists that were around the city of Jerusalem. And, and the temple foundation got laid and started to get rebuilt and the wall started to get rebuilt. But those, those lobbyists, they know that, that, if, that if Jerusalem gets rebuilt, it means something different for them and they're scared. And so they lobbied you and they got you to stop rebuilding the city. You can read about it in the book of Ezra. You caved to political pressure and, and you made things worse for my people. Why am I sad? That's why I'm sad. I mean, he could have attached it with some kind of like real assertive, over the top, you know, political language. Because it is, a, he's literally asking the most powerful man in the world to overturn a political policy. This is a political issue, but he doesn't make it one. Question is, have you stifled the, the big dream God has given you by, by making it too political? You wonder why, I'm not making any progress. When we make things too political or we come across that way with our communication, listen to me, it closes people off. And I want to be really clear. I'm not insinuating compromise of any kind. I'm not trying to communicate we should compromise our convictions in any way as Christians. Might help to build a little bit more bridges than burn them, don't you think? I think we can do both those things. But Nehemiah kept it personal. And the most influential person in the world was more apt to help him, I believe, because of that. This is, in, in, this is very practical. And we see that begin to unfold. Verse 4 says, the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I think the king was open to help Nehemiah with his dream because, because God had prepared the king's heart through Nehemiah's prayer. God had prepared the king's heart through Nehemiah's faithful service in his work. God had prepared the king's heart through the personal relationship that Nehemiah had established with he and his wife. We're going to see her show up here in a moment. And all of what Nehemiah is asking was built on all of that. Notwithstanding, Nehemiah continues to pray even under his breath. So I prayed to the God of heaven. We don't just pray to prepare for those moments where we ask for things that would would bring about those dreams and realities, but we pray in those moments as well. And because of all this, we see God actually answering Nehemiah's prayer. And again, he gives him the opportunity to ask for help with his big and holy and audacious dream or goal from the, the man that could help him the most. Verse verse 5 It says, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And here we're reminded that, that people will help you with your big and holy and audacious dream if you make them the hero and not yourself. If it pleases the king. Look, Nehemiah intuitively knew. What is now common knowledge among so many who, who are talking about goal setting in our culture today? There are so many people, Christian and non Christian alike, who are talking about goal setting and reaching your dreams and your aspirations and all that. And, 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 and many of them say, hey, look, it's not about you, it's about the other person. Make that person the hero, not you the hero. Well, that's actually true, it actually works. I mean, it sounds odd in in a sense, but it's actually a very clever way to remind ourselves of a biblical reality, making the other person the hero. Here's the biblical reality. It's not about you. It's about God, first and foremost. And then it's about other people. And then it's about you. Nehemiah also knew intuitively one more thing that people will be glad to help you with your dream if you have been faithful to serve them in theirs. You know, I went on sabbatical a few years back, maybe it was three years ago, and since that time, I've been taking time to visit people in their workplace and at their place of business and, and learning about their business and learning a bit more about business myself and trying to understand, you know, what is life like for, for most of the people in our church that, that live life between Sundays in the corporate workplace? I mean, I, I spend most of my time with other Christians and Christian leaders. And, and I had a little misconception that, that people didn't approach reciprocity the way they actually do in the marketplace. When, when people don't, when people aren't reciprocal with each other, it's actually not looked well on. It, it, it's like, it's, it's, it's common in the marketplace for people to reciprocate with each other and people are well thought of when they do. And if you serve someone else well, even if it's not ultimately about your business, that'll come back to you in some way. I see it happening all the time. Helicopter. Nehemiah had spent years serving the king day in and day out. And now he's asking him to reciprocate in some way. And guess what? The king is going to do it. How will the king do this? Verse 6. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time which reminds us of something else, that people will support you in your big and your holy and your audacious goal or dream if you have a well-thought-out plan. Nehemiah must have had a plan. He knew how long it was going to take him. He knew what he needed. We're going to see in the next verses that he's like, hey, I need safe travel and I need timber, and there's all kinds of things he already knew he needed because he was planning it out. He was praying and he was planning he didn't just get this like, sort of this rush of, of, of an idea and invigorated by something and just rush out without planning it. For some of you, this makes sense. Some of you are dreamers and you're like, I'm just off at the first idea, I'm, I'm off to the races. I can relate to that, right? And some of you are plotters, you're just like, yeah, I just gotta do the next thing in front of me and you need a little kind of burr under your saddle to, to cause you to dream a little bit more. Either way, you need a well thought out plan And I think Nehemiah showed the king that this wasn't just an impulse. This was something that God had implanted in him. God had given him a dream, a hope. And he didn't just pray about it. He did something about it. He planned for it. Which brings us to one more lesson, verses 7 to 8. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that I may... Give me timber to make beams for the gates and for the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. Which reminds us that you can be extremely bold with your big and holy and audacious dreamer goal once you've taken these first basic steps. I think oftentimes dreamers make a mistake of just being really bold about what they want from the beginning. They haven't done all these other things. They just got kind of to get this rush of enthusiasm and want to get out there and do something, but, but not a lot of preparation. Listen, look what Nehemiah has done. Nehemiah has prayed and fasted for four months. He has prayed. He has been productive in his work, serving his boss in the daily things of work and life. He has kept it personal and not political. He has made a plan And he has figured out how he can make the people that he talks to about his dream, the hero and not himself. I mean, he's positioned the other person as the hero. He's taken a lot of steps to get to this point. And now that he's there, he gets really bold. He's like, oh, by the way, I don't want to just go back. I want to rebuild. And here's what I'm going to need. I'm going to need some safe travel and a guard. I'm going to need the best timber out of your best forest. And by the way, I think I'm also going to build a house for myself. Why don't you just pen that into the contract, right? He's just sliding it all in, right? Kingdom pork, right? In the bill, right? We just get all this stuff in there. He's just bold. He's asking. And he can be bold. In this, at this time and at this place, he can now be bold and audacious in a sense because, because he's done all the work beforehand. There's one final lesson this morning, and it's this. We see it in verse 8 And the king granted me what I asked for the good. Hand of my God was upon me. In the end, your big and holy and audacious goal or dream will only happen if it's actually part of God's big and holy and audacious goal Himself. himself. Nehemiah knows in the end, despite all that he's done, all the praying, all the planning, all the positioning the other person as the hero, all the avoiding of politics, all of all of that he's done, all that he's done to get to this point, he knows it's not his savvy, and it's not his sales skills. He's just given a great pitch, right? It's not his leadership ability, and it's not his intellect and his intuition and all of that. It's not—he's not—it's not all of that. In the end, he knows it's because God is good, and because God wants good things for his people, and because God is good to invite us into that. Because the good hand of our God was upon me. In the end, listen to me, your dream is not your dream. It's God's. That thing, if it's, if it's big and if it's holy, it's God's dream in a sense. And I know it sounds weird. I'm not meaning that God dreams about things. It's God's goal. It's his intention. And, and, he's, and he's sharing part of it with you. he's inviting you into it. You know, Incidentally, God does have a big and holy and audacious goal, doesn't he? And God's big and holy and audacious goal is to create men and women in his image and likeness that he can enjoy relationship with. And God did that in the beginning. And if you know the story of the Bible, you know that that people were not content with that. I mean, you've seen that, right? We're not content with that to be involved in God's big, holy, audacious goals. We want to be about our own goals, our own stuff, our own passion, our own mission, our own desires, our own visions. We want to do it on our own for our sake, not his. Have you noticed that? Sin entered the world, and that's what became of us. We were going about our own stuff, our own vision, our own dreams, our own goals, to our own ends and for our own benefit and for our own glory, for that matter. That's a miserable way to live. And if you've been living that way, you know that. (laughs) That's a miserable way to live, it doesn't add up. It will never be ultimately satisfying. And because God is so good, He didn't just leave us in that place. He came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ lived a life perfectly satisfying to God, free from sin, and perfectly connected with the, the, the hope or the dream rather, the goal of the Father that people would be created as image and likeness and that they would be in relationship with him and and, and God would mend our relationship with him at the cross through Jesus Christ, the God-man, living that sinless life that we could never live, dying on the cross in our place and for our sins, carrying the weight of the sin of all the times we ran off into our own dreams, we ran off into our own vision, we ran off into our own hopes for our own sake and for our own glory. God forgives us of all that when we place our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus and he frees us Now to join him in a life that's lived in relationship with and to him. And that all our hopes and our dreams and our visions and the things that we want to see happen, they're they're all they're all now like underneath his big, holy, audacious goal for himself and for his glory. And we get wrapped up and enveloped in that. And that is where real life and joy and satisfaction is at which I think brings us to our good news this morning, that God has already accomplished his big, holy, audacious goal through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he invites us to see ours in light of his. And whatever it is for you, I hope you see it in light of his this morning. Um, As Reagan and Paul come out, uh, I wanna say as, as one of your pastors, if you have one of these big, holy, audacious dreams or goals, like, I want to know. If you've been praying over that for four months or longer and you've been planning and you've been kind of doing the back work, you know, up late at night and up early in the morning and you're working on those things as you you do your day job, you know, it's kind of your your dream job hope and it's sort of part of of the things that you hope for one day. I want to know. I want to hear that. If it's starting to leak out of you, I want to hear. I want to know what that is. I want to help you. I want to encourage you. I want to know if I could connect you with someone else that can help you. I want our church to be filled with people that love God's church, that love his people, that have big hopes and dreams for his church, for the people of God, and they want to see those things carried out. And, And I want our church to be a place where the pastors and the leaders in our church come alongside you in that And and help you discern, yeah, is that a goal? Is that a dream that's from him? And if so, let's go. Let's help you with that. Let's see it unfold. And let's see it unfold together. So whether it's after church or you send me an email or or whatever, like I, I, I want to know. We want to know. Would you share that with us? Would you pray with me? Oh, thank you for including us in the things that you're doing. Thank you for being so good that you would give us um, room to play in the midst of your, your playground. As you, as you fulfill your big and holy and audacious goal, that, that you invite us into it. Thank you for being so good to invite us in. We, we want to tell you, Lord, that we believe that that's where the good life is. It's with you and being involved in your things for your glory. Forgive us for for pursuing our own goals, for our own ends, to our own glory. Help us to discern that big, holy, audacious goal that that you want to invite us into, what our place in it is. Whatever it is, we pray ultimately that in the end you receive all the, the honor and glory that you deserve. It's all about you. We thank you, we love you, we worship you. Amen.